Hi, everybody. It's Jean Nathan. This is Crosstown Conversations with news about New Orleans that counts about our economy, our environment, our culture, and some occasional politics. Thank you for joining and enjoy the show. We're talking to folks who worked on a really interesting new film about um, one of our iconic um, artists and characters in the city, George Durow, who I miss. And I'm sure anybody who ever spent any time with him misses. We're talking to folks who made a film about him that's going to be shown at the film festival, Jared Lofsted and Sergio Lobo Navia the directors and Arthur Roger, who's his longtime dealer, will also be on the program. This is going to be interesting. Also, I've got Karen Parsons and Sandra Burchell, who are going to talk about their drawing program that invites you to make art, whether you've been doing it or whether you're brand new to it. So hope you enjoy the show. Folks, we are very excited today to talk about someone who I think in many ways really defined an era in New Orleans. George Giroux was so much more than a person, an artist. He was really uh, what, what I think Mac Rebinac would call a character. <laughs> and um, he defined for many of us what being a part of the creative community of New Orleans was all about. So I was thrilled to hear um, that some folks who cared um, made sure that uh, he was documented in a video and luckily uh, started before he passed. So we actually have his participation. I think that's so important. Let me let everybody introduce themselves real quick, and um, we're going to jump into what it was like to make a film about George Duro. I can't imagine. Just life with George Duro is, is such a trip. Hi, I'm Arthur Roger. I own the Arthur Roger Gallery. Um, I've represented George for about 35 years um, and now represent the estate. And I'm Jared Lofsted. I'm Sergio Lobonavia. And we've been working on this film with for about seven years. So, you know, uh, let's start right there, because I, I was saying before we got on the uh, recording that um, a lot of people see that hour, hour and a half, two hours of, of film or video and think, oh, that was great. But wow, that must be fun to do. And they have no idea what it's like to raise the money, to be on set forever, to fix things that need to be fixed, um, and to work with a subject who is not your uh, typical guy by any means. So um, why don't you why don't you give me a little bit of a sense first of all um, 
both of you who are the directors, Jared and Sergio, and uh, we'll uh, pick up uh, with Archer, with Arthur from uh, the other end, from his real life as an artist. What was it like working with, with, with George Duroux as the subject of your film? Well, the film really started, we never worked with George directly, but we had access to fantastic archival materials um, his papers, I think, thanks to Arthur, are held at the Historic New Orleans Collection. And then there was a couple documentaries done, mostly in Europe, of George. And then our associate producer, uh, Jack Fritcher, came to New Orleans in 1991 and did extensive interviews with them. And that is really important in our film to kind of hear George in his own words, because we started this project, you know, two or three years after George died. So I think the archives, the archives is where the film is made. And credit to the other associate producer, Brad Edelman, uh, who was a photographer in town and documented a lot of George's life from the post-Katrina time. So if it wasn't for Jack, and Brad and all the other filmmakers, uh, Felix Olivier in Paris and uh, Adele Bado here uh, made a Novak piece and why yes, we, we wouldn't have the ability to bring George kind of to life. You know, it's all the, it's everyone else's archival work that we were able to kind of harness and then and then add our own interviews and our own, our own kind of vision of it. So uh, I'm sure that whether you were literally in the room with him or studying what he's all about or talking to other people about him, it had to be a rather extraordinary experience. Tell me about it. I mean, very much so. You know, when I first moved here uh, in the late 90s, I would see George riding around on the bike, see this, you know, middle-aged man with long hair riding his bicycle through quarter and Oh, who's that? And then eventually I, you know, learned he was George Thoreau and got familiar with the work. And now, um, for me, one of the, uh, thinking about George's life and his arc and his work, um, and now being uh, 48, uh, you know, George was 45 when his first book was published. And so when I, it's been like a kind of middle-aged journey. In a way for me, on one, on just a, on a human level, uh, to connect with him in that way, and to feel yourself getting older, and then to see, you know, what comes next uh, in the cycle of life. Forty-five is not old. Trust me. <laughs> uh, so that's one part of the trip. Then another part of the trip is knowing that this figure could, the role that he played in the city, and understanding sort of the way the understanding New Orleans. The way that George is able to operate in the city for all these years, for all those years, is amazing. Um, and that uh, being a gay man, living out the whole nine, not ever owning a piece of property, but managing to live in New Orleans the whole time. All in of in one of the grandest there. houses in the city. On over Esquire. and over again. And 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 on and on. I mean, the place in the French Quarter, that studio was... <laughs> 
I mean, just, I don't remember how many square feet it was, Arthur, but it had to be, what, a couple thousand at least? About 3,000. Three, yeah. Yeah. And one interesting thing about that that we discovered in the course of this story is that what, you know, George, and he mentions it in the in a 1987 interview he does. We didn't get to put it in the film, but George gets gentrified out of every place he ever lived. Oh. Like all artists do, right? Generally, if you don't put an anchor in, you get moved out. And George mentions it in a 1987 interview. He gets moved out of Esplanade. Then he gets moved out of Rampart. So the only way he's able to move into Dauphine and Barracks was that they had hoped it would be developed. Uh, you know, it was being developed as a condo and then it fell through and he moved into that place. And then that place gets developed. And then he moves into Bienville and that's his final stop. You know, so the move was precipitated on real estate, on him getting, him having a great lease. And as he says, you know, like it always, like it happens. Uh, artists move in, gays and artists move in, we renovate places, then we get moved out. I don't remember him ever communicating uh, the strife that that must have caused him. Well, well, I mean, of course, it it caused strife. I mean, moving is 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 horrible. But you know, I I have to say, Jared, you know, um, um, you know, I, I knew George when he was on Esplanade, and that was such a spectacular house. And when George had to move, I thought, oh my God, this is going to be horrible. And then he found Barracks and um, um, Barracks and Dauphine, and I went, oh my God, this is incredible. You know, I can't believe it. How does that happen that you move and then you have this other blessing that comes your way? And then he had to move from there. And I thought, again, I went, well, it can't happen a third time. And then it did, you know, and, and it really was, I, I don't think that happens for most people. <laughs> no, you have to be really good at New Orleans for that to happen. You know, you have to be good at living here for that to happen or otherwise you leave. That's so what I don't think there was so much that, you know, you, you're good for New Orleans as that, again, I just think he had a very uh, unique uh, charisma and um, a, a place in the world, a, a place in the city. I mean, he just, he, he held, uh, I don't even know how, you know, it's not a position, it's not a... Uh, it's it's just as um, he was part of the landscape in a in a certain way. He was just a, a, a very um, dramatic part of the landscape, and I, I think anybody who came in contact with him. I mean, Tannen and I wound up spending some time with George, partially because we were neighbors, partially because my husband is um, a very approachable artist and somebody who connects with people. Um, I'm just a questioner, you might say. And um, so I, I get in there in the same way. But um, and then he actually was the photographer for a run for city council that I made. <laughs> that was um, quite an experience to actually be photographed by George was uh, quite an experience. Um, you didn't know that, did you, Arthur? <laughs> I did not. There's a very uh, elegant, stately photograph of me that was a little too elegant and stately. So um, uh, we didn't actually use it. And he was not happy about that at all. 
it was it was just a little bit too royal looking. You know, I looked like um, I don't know, uh, not Princess Di certainly, but Uptown um, maybe. It's a little too. <laughs> I can't take that insult. No, <laughs> I would not say too Uptown. No, I, I would just say, um, you know, uh, a, a, just a little too high. Uh, ha high hat in in stature. Anyway, um, so so we we had a uh, nothing like uh, you, Arthur, and, and you guys eventually as part of the filmmaking. But anybody who touched uh, his life um, had to be affected by it, and so that's what I'm trying to say. That um, you know, it, it was you would you would have an extraordinary experience one way or another. He, he had a, also uh, an aura or a presence about him. I mean, it could be him entertaining at his house or at a party or or even riding his bike. You noticed him. I mean, this was a guy that did not sort of go, he, he, he was not invisible. And even when he wasn't sort of uh, talking to you or with you in, in the room or something, um, it just had that that about him. What did you learn, Jared and Sergio, uh, about him and about his time? Because again, he he is a marker. He's a marker for his time. What did you learn about him and his time that um, you thought was important that, that you didn't know before? I think George is a really great stand-in for uh, the bohemia of downtown and the French Quarter that has kind of evaporated um, as the city has become more American, less Caribbean, less black, less gay, less everything that makes it a unique place in American geography. And so looking back to see how he lived his life, how the works he made, where he made them, how he, George is interested mostly in telling stories through painting through his work. And these were the stories that anyone who has lived substantial time in New Orleans can immediately recognize in his paintings. There's a great one from the 60s of the sewer and water board uh, employees. Yeah, wonderful. That's a truly a great, wonderful piece that is a, is a, is a city scene, but it's told in his own specific way. Um, and it's not like, you know, it's not the landscape and French Quarter paintings that you see hot on the streets. It's something unique. It's his own vision. It's something that, you know, may not ever be the same. There will never be another George Duro, and that's what I've, I've taken away from it. He's a unique personality that only the city could have produced, and I'm not sure if they can produce it now yeah gene i want to elaborate i agree with sergio but i think that there were there were loads of people these unique people in the french quarter at that time i mean uh it it, it somehow attracted them and it was sort of part of the charm of the french quarter in an odd way that you know you, you know you would see these different characters you know that uh that i agree with sergio that just that that's gone that's that's not the french quarter anymore but it was then mm -hmm. so yeah, I, have a, I have a hard time um swallowing 
the idea that is gone. I, I definitely, as I drive around the city now, and I don't do it as nearly as much as I used to, but all the more reason why when I do uh, get around, I'm shocked to see the new establishments and, and some of the old ones that were a part of our world um, 10 years ago, let's say, uh, gone. Um, it has changed a lot. Uh, Katrina uh, contributed, the pandemic contributed, Ida contributed. We've gone through a lot of very traumatic uh, events in the city in just the years I've been here. And when I arrived, which was in early 70, they had just had the big shooting at Howard Johnson. Um, and, and of course, there were other events like that uh, since then. Um, I don't, I, I work very hard at, I don't work very hard. I just simply do not think about the violence and the crime, because to me, they are mere symptoms of how um, shabbily we have treated uh, people who, uh, by the words of the Constitution, deserve to have been given equal opportunity. And for equal opportunity in our age, that means education. And we have not educated people, our own people here, the way we should have. So that's all I think about. I don't think about the um, the crime. But I feel like, well, it may be that we have more people from elsewhere who have, um, from away, as everybody says here. Oh, he's from away. Um, I'm from away, for the record. I'm from away. Only <laughs> Arthur's from here. <laughs> the folks who have come in here, many of whom came during Katrina to help. They came here, oh my God, look what's going on there. Let us go and help, right? And then never left. I mean, never leaving is is a is a trend is a is a syndrome is a uh, regular occurrence somebody comes for jazz fest and sends for their clothes and never goes home i mean um it, it it's a it's a recognized phenomena and um even if you take off for a while because if you think the grass is greener somewhere else and uh you wind up coming back one way or another so i do think that we have maybe not as many um George DeRose, maybe not as many, Ruthie the Duck Lady, or Jim Lalonde, I think of him as another one of those um, really diehard uh, New Orleans characters. Um, and some of us, you know, who are um, second generation, you might say, in a way. But I, I, I think we're still here. I think there's still a deliberate, intentional choice to live a life that's determined by creativity more so than making a buck. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I mean, the, clearly, the, clearly the, the quarter attracts it. And the quarter also goes through these cycles of, you know, being up and down and things. And, you know, the, the you know, and you're right, you, you, you mentioned all the people that I was just going to mention, sort of this comparisons to the sort of like the sort of over-the-top characters that lived in the French Quarter and that you would see walking down the street that you don't. But, you know, it used to be that the tourism was really very contained in the French Quarter, and now it's pretty, it's it's really all over. You know, like, you got to go further and further back, you know, to really find a neighborhood anymore. You know, I mean, um, um, it used to be really sort of isolated to Bourbon Street, and even Bourbon Street ended at St. Anne, and that became the gay section. And then now... 
you know, Bourbon Street, it doesn't end, you know, and 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 it expands in both directions as well. But but you know, I, I get it and I, I do agree with you. I, I I love the quarter, I live in the quarter. Um, um I, I I do think people will always want to come back to the quarter. And other neighborhoods in the city. So absolutely. Uh, I, I mean I think that there's it's harder for people to find those special characteristics uh, whether it's Treme which is not hard to find and not uh, hard to define those characteristics but maybe a little harder in uh, mid-city but mid-city for goodness sake has transformed um, both by a combination of New Orleanians and people from elsewhere into an expansion of the more if not bohemian certainly again a creative um, a community I think our communities are creative above all, in different ways, in different places. Ferret Street, I can remember Ferret Street being down on its heels. I remember St. Claude when I first got here saying, oh my God, what what planet is this on? It was like 1940s and 30s and 50s and maybe 60s houses and and, and just off, off the grid, totally. Um, Ferret Street wasn't happening. Magazine Street, man, that was that was a that was a shopper's haven for you know, all the old stuff that uh, many of us crave, but it was not a dramatic neighborhood. No, it was like packaged liquor and um, it was really some... Pawn shops. Pawn shops, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, tell me what I don't know about the way George thought about himself and the city that um, you guys learned working on the film, and Arthur, you um, experienced working with him as his dealer. Well, you know, I mean, I, I, I feel it was really survival. I mean, Gene, I think, you know, growing up as a gay man and also um, he lived both. He lived high and low. You know, I mean, he would go out with these really wonderful women, you know, that were incredibly wealthy and go to dinners. And then he would uh, be with the kids and guys in the neighborhood and um, and you know he he really wasn't a person that had a great deal of means but the grandeur you know I mean he showed that you know you really don't need to be wealthy to have that kind of grandeur you know to be able to entertain in this really quite remarkable remarkable way but I mean all these things were self-invented there there were nothing that someone helped him with you know there were things that he personally obtained for himself that he saw he saw in himself you know and 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 it was really a, a, a sort of a survival and I think the same is true with his artwork you know I mean um I don't think that he really got the kind of support that he should have most artists don't but at the same time I think for George you know it was sort of you know a protective shield in a lot of ways to sort of be able to keep moving forward well, I think that, of course, you made a big difference for him. But um, tell me I'm wrong. I can't really remember this all that well. But I feel like um, we really embraced, we at the Contemporary Arts Center really embraced George and um, and showed his work and, and and made a statement about how it, of its importance at a time when there weren't a whole lot of places for him to, to show. But... Um, yeah, absolutely. The Contemporary Art Center honored George in a profound way. Uh, we have here, and we use it uh, in the film, but here's the catalog, the 1977 catalog. So this was George's 
you know, I mean, he'd done shows before, certainly. It showed at the Downtown Gallery, at the Orleans Gallery. It showed, you know, all around. But this is a big deal, you know, and and it's a big deal to a lot of people in the city. Uh, both of our models that we interview in the film reference this show. One is that's how he met George. That's how he, you know, got involved with him. So just that spark, you know. Then again, then in the, in ninety one, we have footage from George doing the anti Gulf War show and hanging Mars descending. Uh, so you know the CAC is obviously uh, was integral in the grounding his career. And so, was he president of the CAC at one point, like on the board, board president or something, or advisory board. He was he wasn't president, and we did not have an advisory board, which was something that I deliberately um, programmed, and uh, and I don't think everybody is is uh, happy with the fact that I created a humongous board, an unusually large board, to avoid an advisory board, because I felt like if people on advisory boards are on there because they have money, they give money, and they're not really engaged the way they should be, I felt, so we did not have that, but um he he was, and I don't remember him being on the board, but he may have been. Uh, do you know the answer to that, uh, Arthur? Arthur, I don't remember, especially later years. I don't think George was ever on the board of the CAC. No. He was just he was he was again a personage, a part of that creative landscape. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah, I mean he he was definitely um, felt and seen and known as a yeah. part of the CAC. Yeah. And, and and very embraced by other artists. I mean, Lynn Emery was a very dear friend. You were, I mean, Ida Kohlmeyer. I mean, there was there was definitely a deep regard for each other. Um, I want to touch on one thing. I, I know that this is touched on in the film, and I I I call attention to it all the time because I've, I'm so frustrated with um artists who are the originators of ideas but somebody else gets well known for them. So um, there's, there's acknowledgement, I think general acknowledgement that um, uh, Maplethorpe's photography was deeply influenced by uh, George's to the point of um, some would say, literally he kind of stole George's um, uh, oeuvre, his, uh, his, his, his style, his way of making photographs. I can't address uh, the painting side. Um, and and you you all did uh, a touch on that in the film, am I correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, we spend a decent amount of time in there. You know, I think the amount of time that we need to get the uh, our uh, hey, both George's it. voice and other people. Yeah, one of the nice things uh, about it is that we have George actually saying what he thought. So while we have other people chiming in, we don't have to chime in at all. You know, we don't have to. <laughs> I but think yeah, George be, saying what he thinks about it. I think that's going to be for all of us, even those of us who did spend time with him and know him to a point. Um, there was so much to know about; it's hard to have uh, known everything. So, you know, we're going to learn. They're going. We're we're all going to learn from the film. Before I um, uh, close off, which I have to do pretty soon, um, I need to really just get the facts down on when and where uh, to be able to see your film. The film is screening uh, at the closing night of the in-person portion of the New Orleans Film Festival, which is Tuesday, November 7th at 7.45 at the Contemporary Arts Center in the Black Box Theater.
And and author, um, uh, are you doing anything in particular? In uh, I know you're doing your big forty fifth um, uh, anniversary show, which I will talk with you about next week, and we'll have a, a whole separate uh, a discussion about that. But um, is there anything a, a way that you've noted specially uh, in, in tandem with the film? We're not doing anything with the film. I mean, we have works of George out uh, uh, um, that are part of the exhibition. And he is uh, shown in a room with some of the uh, or the original Orleans gallery uh, artists. But um, um, we just took we just actually had a show of George's photography. You know, I think the challenge for us is how do we do another exhibition and show something that most people hadn't noticed about the work before? And so that is always a pretty difficult thought process considering how many exhibitions we've done of the work, but um, but we, uh, um, you know, we love when it comes together and Jared and Sergio were both there for um, the last at least three um, exhibitions that we've put together. So in, in doing the film on him, how did that shape your filmmaking strategy, approach, production, how how did you adjust what you normally do to accommodate this project? Ooh, well, <laughs> yeah, this has been a real rodeo. You know, uh, we've made, this is the longest thing we've ever made, 78 minutes long. Uh, certainly the most involved archivally. Uh, so there were a lot, we have had to learn a lot. Uh, we did it with only a, uh, uh, very kind grant from uh, the John Burton Harder Foundation. But other than that, we didn't, that was, you know, that came at the end. So we've had to pay for it all. Uh, we've done it every aspect of the filmmaking. We've hired, you know, everything has been independent. So every aspect of the thing, by picking George as our topic, every aspect of it has been influenced and it has totally shaped if we would have taken an easier topic, maybe uh, we would have gotten more budget and had to learn to do less. <laughs> it's also, you know, we didn't want to make a straight biography film. No. Right? We didn't. So, you know, the film goes, there's a lot of digressions into things related to George. You find out about his models. There's a segment about, you AIDS. know, the AIDS crisis in, in New Orleans. Orleans. Yeah. So it's these things that are related to George that kind of add on to what we know about him, what he says about himself, and what he projected out into the world. I mean, part of the difficulty in telling a story about George DeRoe and arguing to the outside world that he is inextricably linked to New Orleans is that you have to explain to him some of the nuances of New Orleans that otherwise they would not under they would not understand. And but audience takes for granted that there was that 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 AIDS was a crisis here in 1991. And if it wasn't for Val Lewis's footage from Just for the Record, then we wouldn't be able to show that. So the archiving, uh, the archives are really was this was more than anything an archival project. We probably only filmed a total of. 10 hours of interviews, 12 hours of interviews, maybe five hours of B-roll, but the vast majority of what we've done is all getting people to say it in their own words. That is no easy task. 
face the point of life of of having to realize you know the archival responsibility that i have um with my artists uh, in my family it's a daunting it's a daunting job so having a film of, of much of that is is very important and actually makes me think that might be a strategy for Whenever you're ready, uh, <laughs> you gotta know what you think about this. Well, no this is another this. character. I don't know if you're ready for another character, <laughs> as uh, John would say, because uh, <laughs> he's no straightforward uh, piece of work either. <laughs> but um, um, it's our specialty. Well, the last thing we made was on Kenneth Holditch, so it's um, a, okay. We right. specialize in characters. <laughs> What have I not asked you about this film? This is a Rachel Maddow question. Uh, although she usually does it the reverse. She says, is there anything I said wrong or, did, or uh, about what I've said so far? And she'll always ask uh, one of her guests. So my question to you is, is there anything I did not ask you that you think is important for the folks who are interested in George, a character from New Orleans, New Orleans, the years that he lived here that I sh uh, you want to share with me and our audience? I think most of the only thing I'd like to add is that we worked really, uh, we tried to get as much done as we could to show the models until at least give the models a voice. Uh, we tried to find many models, reached out to several, uh, Heard back from a few, and what we uh, we left with is to try. You know, I don't. Uh, all these people have voices, and that is their uh, voices and their humanity is conveyed in the photography. Uh, so we were lucky that we had at least two people that we could talk to, who have done, who sat for George, who George was influential at times in their lives. Um, and I, that, I think, I think that's really important to us is that people under, you know, it's not just about George Durow, it's about these, in this case, these two men who, who we get to interview and who express, exp who they talk about the experience. Because I think people, I think, uh, uh there's nothing simple about George Durow, you know, it's just he's not a simple artist. It's not simple work. And I'm really happy that we got to talk to two people who worked with him and loved working with him to express what that experience was like. Arthur, what about you? Is there something that um, you, we need to add? Well, you know, I think it's I think um, what Jared brought up is really a good point. In other words, um, um, these these images, you know, particularly in the photographs, they're 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 so strong, you know, and 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 they're people that. You know, I, I I can't imagine anybody else would be able to get them to probably take their photograph, much less take their clothes off, and 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 be you know and and let you get to know them, you know, and and in such a, a, a remarkable, a profound way, really. But um um, I I I think the film is brilliant. I'm really so grateful to Jared and Sergio. I mean, I've watched their commitment to doing this, and it's been uh, quite quite moving. And uh, I do wish, you know, the the problem is, Gene, you know, 
you have this wonderful occasion that's happening and you have this commonly with artists and if you're for you know if you live longer than them you get to see all these things that happen that you just wish that they could have been a part of you know because if george would have been here you know to enjoy this it would be such an amazing thing because it would just proved you were right you know <laughs> you deserve this you know uh, uh um, um other people get it you know and and they're so grateful thank you for that arthur and thank you for the years that you worked with him and worked to make sure that more people got to see his work and to get to know about him and i encourage those of you in the audience who don't know who we're talking about um, not everybody uh, has had exposure to to George, and um, I encourage you to see the film to uh, get a piece of uh, that life, to get a, a sense of that life that he lived here, and maybe as even a model for your own as you go forward in the city. Um, so uh, thank you guys so much for doing it. It's closing night, and that is yes. November seventh at the CAC at seven forty-five p.m. I'll be there. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see it. And um, Arthur, we'll talk next week about your 45th um, uh, anniversary show coming up uh, next week also, right? Well, thank you. Yes, I look forward to it. And I, I'm really looking forward to the premiere of the film. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, thank thank you, you all three. All right. Y'all take care. For the future of the little bitty boys and girls We got to make this land a better land Than the world in which we live We gotta help each man be a better man With the kindness that we give I know we can make it I know that we can I know darn well we can work it out Yes we can, I know we can, can Yes we can, can, why can't we If we want it, yes we can, can I know we can make it work We are privileged to be sitting with two people, one who's committed to the arts for a long time. Well, they're both committed to the arts for a long time, but one has been practicing and very active. other artists. And, and the other is um, resuming a love at a later stage. So I want to start with Sandra. Why don't you start with exactly what's going on? Exactly what's going on is that our 20-year-old New Orleans drawing group is having its first gallery show at the Araby Visual Arts, uh, <laughs> 6707 St. Claude in Araby. And the show has been on about a month and it will have three more days, Friday, 11 to 5, Saturday and Sunday, 11 to 6, and that is the last day. But there's going to be an online gallery uh, site that is going to be indefinite at um, arabivisualarts.com. The show is actually works from the 15 years when I had a little drawing group on the top floor of a little coffee house, Fairgrinds Coffee House in my neighborhood. Um, 
where it was just a local small group of people right after Hurricane Katrina. That was when I started it, when there was nothing for the artists. There was nothing for anybody. So it started small, grew a little bit, but then came COVID. Everything stopped. People didn't meet. It was a second disaster in a sense. And um, what happened with that was I didn't want to let this 15-year-old baby just die. So I learned Zoom and we now have models instead of local models. We have models that come in from, believe it or not, all over the world. In addition, we also have artists from all over the world. If the timing can work for them, um, we have one artist that comes in from Malaysia that zooms in before he goes to work at quarter of six in the morning. What this Zoom group did was create a family when we were all isolated. Artists are isolated anyway, but it it was a supportive environment where we could almost hug each other. We would see each other. It's been going on every week for almost 20 years. The, the interesting question is, is what were the different creative practices that the Fairgrinds presented and, and supported? And now I'm really happy that Cafe Degas has taken it over. And I know that they're going to make it into a a community-oriented uh, space again, so you might. Uh... I really hope so because the original owner of Fairgrinds was so community-oriented. Yes, I mean, after Hurricane Katrina, he just put out free free coffee. Other people brought milk. People brought cookies, and it was just a real exchange of love. Um, and the great thing is that. Jacques is taking over one of the partners of Café Degas, and he's a wonderful artist himself. Now, Karen, you have a special relationship with this because... Let me connect the dots for everybody and why I'm on this Zoom interview. Because um, I've spent the last 25 years as an urban transportation planner and doing a lot of bike and pedestrian planning as part of that, just one phase of that. And... To connect the dot further back to your discussion about meeting at the Fairgrounds coffee shop, when Bike Easy, the local bicycle advocacy organization, was first established, we were um, we helped set that up. I helped set that up. I'm a founding member when it was the Metro Bicycle Coalition, and we used to meet in that upstairs room at Fairgrounds <laughs> Coffee House. Because <laughs> it was available space, right? you know, yeah. and um, and so that connects back to the community and the neighborhood and the bicycling and um, but fast forward to um, this group, the New Orleans Drawing Group. Um, um, I toured the Mid City Studios. I guess a year ago, October, when they have like an annual open house. And Sandra's studio is there. And I met Sandra. Well, actually, I don't think I met you. You were talking to a lot of other people. I met Darlene. And she said, hey, if you're interested, we have this group and you can sign up and, you know, somebody would contact you. And I provided my name and 
email address. And I have a um, Bachelor of Fine Arts in Painting from way back when, like 1980, and had really kind of set it aside and hadn't given, I was trying to work myself to a moment in time where I gave myself permission to really start again because I hadn't done it for, you know, except for vacations and, you know, little pieces here and there. Um, while I raised a family and um, raised and just didn't carve out time for it. And, um, and so I was just sort of looking for that reconnection and found Sandra. And I was very interested in pastels because they're very direct. Uh, there's not a lot of mixing and you know, my background was always working with acrylics and intaglio, um, had a lot of life drawing, but um, never pastels and never really figures with color. So this kind of brought it all together. And it was also on Zoom. So nobody had to see what I was doing, <laughs> which was kind of nice when you're, you're not quite sure what your skills are when you're just... Um, reintegrating into all of that. Um, and so it was a group of people, much like myself, I think many of them, um, who, um, I mean, many, I think, are longtime artists and very established, and some are fairly new to it, from um, what I can tell. Um, but so I have been participating over the last year on the Zoom um, evenings and just loving it and sort of learning the materials, learning about the paper and um, reorienting. The idea that the Zoom can be used to foster people's creative work. I just, I just love that idea. Sandra, where did that idea come from? It came from drawing from life, which is so important. And we chose to do fig drawing figures from life. The Zoom came from COVID when, what do I do with my, my group? I just didn't want it to end. And a, I had no idea it would keep on going. Um, I have no plans for it to stop. Um, it creates a friendship. It really created a community that, save people that who yeah. had no connection and couldn't with with the restrictions of covid so it was there are pluses and minuses of everything that one does. i mean zoom does have you can't walk around the model but at least i can provide two views um and from coming from new orleans where i've been here for 40 years to have this 20 years starting in New Orleans and now it's worldwide, it can be worldwide, is um, it, it's, I'm just really happy we're celebrating this time. But I'm curious as to how you connected with those people from around the world, because that's not a natural thing. That's, that took some making it happen. Well, it's kind of like everything. You start small. Um, pastelist. I've been showing at Carol Robinson, the Carol Robinson Gallery in New Orleans, 25 years. 
So I started just contacting a few of my friends, the people that had been the locals that had been in the group before, the pastelists that I knew from past, different pastel organizations. Um, I learned a little bit about Facebook and started talking about it on that. And things kind of just grew. We offer a couple of lanyap um, accoutrements to the group. Once a month, we have a well-known figure or portrait painter come after the group and talk about their work and how they got into art, et cetera. And it's very interactive. Um, and then once a month, uh, Darlene Biggis-Dohini, my right-hand person in the group, um, has a topic of discussion, whether it's getting into a gallery, lighting for your artwork, et cetera. So twice a month after the session, we have that as something just to build more camaraderie and everything's interactive. It's not um, somebody presents and we leave. It's kind of not quite like a salon, but trying. It's very fans. helpful. So Karen, and, how has getting back into art changed your um, ex experience with life right now? I don't know. It's an urge. How I don't know how else to explain it, but you just, it's something that you have to fulfill. So it has helped. I mean, it has given me a new, new lease, if you will, um, and sort of a path forward. And um, I got a lot of validation through the gallery because, um, you know, we were each able to submit and um, and uh, got some good feedback. <laughs> at, um, you just won an award, uh, right? I did. I just, I was completely gobsmacked that first of all, that all three of my pieces were accepted and then I won the top award. So um, it that's, was that's like, comeback. <laughs> I was very, very surprised. Um, had no expectations. And in fact, it was um, kind of scary, you know, to, you know, I really kind of had to talk myself into I can do this, I can submit things and, you know, have no idea how it's going to stack up to everybody else's stuff, because we don't really get to see each other's stuff clearly. Um, at the end of each uh, Zoom session, we can hold up our work and Sandra takes a screenshot. So um, I was very and pleased. You also, had a, we had a great local, now inter international artist, Carol Peebles, judge the show. I'm just thrilled with what you're doing. I'm just impressed. I admire you, Sandra, for making this happen for so many people. I'm going to assume that a lot of uh, folks have drifted in and out of your program and a lot of people have been able to come and see the work and be inspired themselves to, to make work. I actually do some work. Uh, I was supposed to be an artist and I kind of chickened out. And, um, and I, I still on occasion will, especially when I'm in the country, I will um, uh, do some work. And, and even though I'm, I'm mainly a, uh, interested in abstract art, when I make my own, I just do landscapes and, and, and um, uh, so something totally different from what I'm used to appreciating and seeing. So 
it's 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 wonderful to do the work and i think it's very engrossing and i really wish we could get more of our youth to be able to do it because i know that it would really be an experience that would would impress them about their talents and abilities in life and make a very big difference in their career paths congratulations to both of you karen Thank you. Parsons, the award winner, award-winning artist, <laughs> and Sandra Michelle, the, I'm going to call you an arts activist. Oh. Doing what you're doing in Araby is also important because I think there really is potential. Throughout St. Bernard, there seems to be a craving, an urge, um, as I think you said, Karen, but I think that that is, um, has been important in, in a kind of comeback down there where they got hit extremely hard by Katrina. They lost half their population. But now uh, people are recognizing their assets and, and spending time there. And I love doing the work that we do at Crevasse 22 because we are literally on what was once the Bayou Terra La Buff, and, and it's also right by the Mississippi River. So, you know, you get to work out in nature as well. Congratulations to you guys. And Jean, I just wanted to mention, if anybody is interested in attending the drawing group, they can either reach me or they can go on the New Orleans drawing group site on Facebook. Thank you for that. But give me uh, again the dates and times and place for this weekend in case people tuned in later. Okay, it's Araby Visual Arts 6707. St. Claude Avenue, and the hours are Friday 11 to 5, and Saturday and Sunday 11 to 6. Hey, and can I plug one thing? Yeah. Because the thing that my, the award that I won was um, a gift from Artwork Archive. So it's um, an art inventory platform to track and showcase your work. So if you're an artist out there, it's an online tracking um, tool that tracks everything. It helps me track artwork, which ones go to which shows, get awards, and all the other nitty gritty of the financials. It's only what you enter in, of course. So it's a management support system, basically. Yes, exactly. Ladies, I'm in deep admiration and I... Um, I, I tell everybody who has an event that I want to go to, I'm going to try to get there, but I'm not very good at getting places at the moment because there's just too much going on in my little family um, household. But uh, uh, I, I'll get out there, if not this time, another time. And thank you Please. for considering yes. this. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks thank so much, Gene. Have a okay. blast okay. In, in these last days. Okay. Thanks. Right. Bye. 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 Isn't it amazing how interesting people who have chosen to live and stay in New Orleans are? I hope you enjoyed the show. This is Jean Nathan for Crosstown Conversations. <laughs>